Can you solve your addiction in just one day? Well, the Freedom Model team has helped thousands of people to do just that. Join us for an intensive one-day interactive learning experience as we take you through the entire Freedom Model solution in just one day and learn the most up-to-date strategies based on our research and experience helping tens of thousands of people over the past 34 years. You will see clearly exactly why you are still struggling and how to stop those struggles once and for all. No more confusion, no more guilt or pain or shame. Click the link in our bio to learn more now or go to thefreedommodel.org. Click on the For the Substance User tab and choose One Day Addiction Solution. Enroll today. It's time for you to step off the addiction roller coaster for good and learn a solution that works. It's called Families Moving Past Addiction Masterclass. It's a live, free online event where you'll hear new and empowering information about addiction, and that's great news. If you love someone who is struggling with an addiction, then this masterclass is for you. To enroll in this free one-hour class, click the link provided or go to thefreedommodel.org. There are various dates and times for the class, so choose the one that works best for you. See you at the masterclass. Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. Enjoy listening and watching as addiction experts Mark Sheeran and I cover controversial as well as helpful topics on addiction, how to move past it, and other related subjects. As two of the co-founders of the Freedom Model, Mark and I will give you a completely new perspective on the topics that matter to you. We will take to task the Recovery Society's lies and misinformation and replace them with facts, research, and the methods to move on from addiction struggles without 12-step meetings, rehabs, and the shackles of endless recovery. Let's escape the treatment and recovery trap together and learn to be free. Welcome to the truth. Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Addiction Solution. I'm Michelle Dunbar. And I'm Mark Sheeran, and we wrote... Freedom Model for Addictions, and Michelle wrote Freedom The Freedom Model. Model for the Family. That's right. So today- uh, this, Along with Stephen Slate. Along with Stephen Slate, our colleague Stephen Slate. Stephen did a ton of the writing. He so, did. Yeah. And look at if you're new to the podcast and you want to learn a little bit more, check out Stephen's TED Talk. Um, go to YouTube and type in Stephen Slate, Our Relationship to Addiction. Um, or Stephen Slate TED Talk, and you will find it there. That's right. It'll YouTube. blow your mind. It will blow your mind. It's fantastic. So, um, and of course, you can go to the Freedom Model YouTube channel where we have like more than a thousand videos now. Um, we have shorts, we have long videos. All these podcasts are there. Um, if you're just listening and you want to watch us, um, we now have, uh, I think the last maybe 60 episodes, 60 to 70 episodes are also available on YouTube. Yeah, we try to put up about four reels or shorts a day. Yeah, so yeah, Mark does most of them. Yeah. <laughs> whatever, whatever I'm thinking about, I throw up there. Yeah. In less than a minute. Yep. So, all right, let's get started. Well, what I want to talk about today is something that's been discussed a lot online, and it's discussed a lot overall, and that is, do your emotions just happen to you? And this is a topic that for me um, is really important because for the most of my life, I was involved in me the mental health world and 
was basically led to believe that I was a victim of my brain chemistry and a victim of my emotions and that I, you know, there was something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I struggled with OCD tendencies when I was a kid. I had terrible nightmares, um, you know, as young as I can remember that that were I guess you call them night terrors. I I mean, I, I was kind of a, like a quirky kid a little bit, but there were things going on in my life at that time that were pretty traumatic and devastating on a daily basis. Um, my dad was a very heavy drinker. He was he could be violent and abusive. Um, so and he was a big dude. He was six foot three and usually ran about 250 to 300 pounds. And he was a big, big man. My mother was a tiny, tiny person. <laughs> she was not even five foot tall, maybe a hundred pounds soaking wet. Um, and so, and I was the oldest of three. So I, so I, I felt an enormous responsibility from as young as I can remember to protect my siblings um, and myself and so, so I developed habits, right? I developed hab- habitual ways of thinking and perceiving that were all about protecting myself. That's what we learn when we're young, you know, especially if we're in a situation where we have to do that. And, but does that mean that I was a, like, as I go forward in my life, I have to keep those habits. I have to keep those ways of thinking and perceiving. And so for a very long time, you know, I, I, I also was, you know, my dad went into AA, so I was told that, oh, you'll be an alcoholic. So from the youngest age I can remember, I was told that I was basically a, a victim of my brain. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and so I've spent the better part of my adult life fixing that misperception because make no mistake, it's wrong. Okay. It's wrong. And it caused problems in my life probably until maybe 10 years ago. Um, and, and even now, even now I'm continuing to learn more and more about what kind of control I have. Mark would tell us from the, from, for a long time, emotions just don't just happen to you. You know, there, you have, you have a part in, in your emotions. Your emotions are based on, on how you perceive things and, and your interpretation of events and how they're going to affect you personally. And, you know, all the old philosophers talk about that. Um, but somehow our culture today has thrown all of that out. It's thrown all of that out and we've built an entire industry, this pharmaceutical industry yeah. based on this idea that you are not in control. You're never in control of your emotions. They do just happen to you. And, and well, if, if you're somebody that, that struggles with these things, then, then you're just going to have to learn to live with it and pile on medications and go to therapy and, um, and just muddle through. Um, and it's not, it's, it's a lie. It's not real. Now I'm going to qualify this and say, I don't have a PhD in psychology. I do have training in psychology and mental health. I've been working with people for my entire adult life for more than 30 years. Um, Mark has as well. And we've both overcome emotional problems. I had a mental health diagnosis as well. And so I've done a ton 
of research on this. I've run a ton of experimentation with myself. Um, and, and so I'm going to be talking from personal and professional experience, uh, but I'm not a doctor. So, well, there's a couple of things. I don't mind. I don't mind telling people that the idea of depression and anxiety being biochemical, uh, causal things is bullshit. Okay. I, I have no problem saying that. And let me explain what I mean by that. I, I, your brain chemistry does not create what you think. So a physical reality, your brain tissue doesn't create your mental reality. It's the other way around. And, and that's just so obvious. So I don't, I, you know, but it is to you, but it's, it's so obvious if you think about it, because it's self-evident, you know, when you think of something, you, you know, that you're thinking of it, you have awareness of it, you know, so let, let me back up and, and so let me back up. How, how, how can I say this with such confidence? So when I was a kid, I was seven years old and my mom left our, our house. And I grew up in a house that was on uh, thousands of acres of woodland that was our property and the property of our neighbors. And our house was tucked away in this in the woods. And I had a there were three houses. There was our house where the kids lived. Then my father had an apartment in a different house. And then my aunt and grandmother lived by the kitchen in the eating quarters. And it was all connected in the middle by a, a glass atrium with basically what looked like a jungle, <laughs> which was pretty cool. But it isolated us kids into a, into a drug house. And it turned into a drug house. It basically, it was just a party house. And it had a separate entrance. It had a separate driveway. So from the age of seven, I didn't have parents. And he was the youngest of 12. So that's yeah. important to understand. Yeah. And a bunch of us went to rehab. I mean, it was a real bad shit show. And it was extremely abusive and neglectful and When I describe to any professionals that that I've worked with in the past, what I went through as a kid, it's, it's truly a marvel that I'm alive. And, and some of my siblings are alive. I mean, the the amount of cars we wrecked, it, it was astronomic, but here's what's important. I didn't have the luxury of anybody to pick up the pieces of my life ever. I didn't, there was nobody that cared about me. So, I mean, this would never fly today. And I've talked about it in other podcasts. So if you've heard this, you can fast forward through it. But, but I remember being a kid and realizing that if I didn't get up and feed myself, I was going to starve. If I didn't get up and put myself into school, I had perfect attendance for four years straight because I didn't know I could be sick mm-hmm. and not go to school. You know, um, there was no adult there to say, Hey, you can lay in bed with the flu. I just went to school, you know? Um, so I had this, this moment when I was like probably eight or nine years old where I realized nobody cared. Like there was nobody. That's not to say my siblings weren't nice at times and things like that, but we were feral children. And if you don't have parents around, everybody was in the same boat. I mean, it was just animal house. It was Lord of the flies. So what happened in that time was I became really aware of what I thought because I was my own guiding force and I realized other kids didn't have that. 
They had other people kind of placating to them. Uh, I saw other kids that were spoiled and had different lifestyles. And some kids had it even worse than me, make no mistake. But the one thing they all had was parents. And I didn't have that. So I would wander around thinking things. And I was deeply involved in, in understanding the world because I did not have the luxury of somebody telling me how to live my life or guide me or bring safety to me. I didn't have any of that. I had to come up with all the strategies. Now in this, I realized that my mind was everything and it guided me down some really horrible paths <laughs> and some really wonderful paths. And is it, but, but the point is I became really aware that what I am is what I think. And I think that that experience does make me an expert in understanding how people think. And then I spent the last 34 years helping people with all, a myriad of really intense and difficult and complicated problems and solving them with the power of their mind. So I think that it's really important to understand that our interpretation, this is where Michelle started, our interpretation in our mind is what guides our reality, not our biochemistry. Yeah. Now, that's not to say that there isn't an effect of being depressed, interpreting situations in a depressing way, feeling hopeless in our mind, that it, it affects brain tissue. It absolutely does. So yeah. we, some of that is measurable, right? Yes. Um, and we can see that. So, so the same thing for anxiousness. If you grow up like Michelle did and the way I did, you are an exceedingly anxious person. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it, I, I, we grew up worrying, you know, what is going to happen today in because the next moment, in the so next yeah. moment, because we, we had to walk on eggshells all the time. I mean, we were continuously on high alert and yeah, you grow up that way and you develop patterns of thinking and perceptions based on your experiences and, and yeah, things feel pretty futile. Uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. Now, but the one thing you do figure out, because children are incredibly resilient. Yeah, they are. And, and so do I have happy memories of being a child? Absolutely. Yeah, I have a ton of them. Yeah. 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 You know, you, children will find ways to entertain themselves and, and, and find um, beauty and humor and, and those positive things because, because that is our positive drive, yeah. even as a child is to seek out those things. And so, and, and they become your little, um, bastions of freedom. Mm. And, and, and so it wasn't until I started to see, honest God, I started to see like my first time seeing a counselor, you know, I was, geez, I don't know, pre, pre pubescent, 10, 11, 12 years old. That wasn't the first time that I saw like the school psychologist where, where, which honestly, my father kept us from doing stuff like that mainly because I'm sure he didn't want people to know what was going on. But also I, I think it was actually kind of a positive thing for me. No, no offense to anybody in the mental health field. Um, because it was only when I started getting labeled and being told there was something wrong with me that that i i st stopped 
seeking out the happiness. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. You, 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 you go to a crutch. Yes. You, you start to, you start to not rely on your own mind. You start to rely on external means. Well, and I, and it started the internal self-talk of, oh, this is me and I'm broken. Yeah, that's so devastating. Okay. And yeah. oh, that's I just devastating. don't, I, you know, I went through and, and so many teens go through periods of angst, right? Even if you don't have a shitty home life. Yeah. It's part of growing up. It's part of growing up. you got these hormones, you know, kind of going a little bit wacky in your body, which can trigger feelings, feeling physically different. And, and so if you ter interpret those physical feeling different to being negative, um, and then you kind of let your mind wander down this very negative pathway, um, well, you start becoming that kid like I was that starts writing death poetry and wondering about, should I be on this planet? And really seriously considering that maybe I should die. Yeah. Yeah. I had, um, I had a suicide attempt at 10 years old and then one at 19. And, and those were sort of the bookends of that that time period of my life where I felt a certain powerlessness to my situation. But all through that, it's interesting in my case, because I was so isolated, I wasn't introduced to the deep state of, of psychiatry. Right. I was in therapy, but it was kind of lighthearted. And everybody in my family, my mother would send me to therapy because I had social problems and, and I was depressed obviously and struggling. But I think she knew, luckily, because she was deeply involved in the self-help movements of the 70s. Yeah. But My dad I, became that way too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I but I, I think she knew that I was too independent of thinker to mm -hmm. really buy into the, the good medications were just starting. Yeah. And, and things like that. And and everybody in my family had already been so deeply involved in the AA thing that they knew something was wrong with that. Right, they, right. And so right. I is, is militantly anti-medication, right? So, right, right. <laughs> that so, probably saved me too from that whole medication thing. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I think. But here's the interesting part. So so the one aspect of, quote unquote, recovery or therapy was the AA thing, which we were immersed in. And then my alcohol and drug use skyrockets until it almost kills me, right? Because I did believe in that. Yes. But because I didn't have the therapeutic depression, anxiety, trauma thing going on. I wasn't in heavy therapy for that. I was able to basically navigate my way out of a horrible, horrible childhood on my own and figure it out. And so I have this strange dichotomy in my personal experience of being indoctrinated with misinformation on the alcohol issue, but not on the mental health issue. What I see today with people is oh, God, they, it's the worst of both worlds. They have adopted this, this idea that depression, anxiety, alcoholism, drug addiction, all of these things happen to them. Yes. And then like a, you catch a cold, like you catch a cold. And then there's a, some sort of biohacked biochemical thing that happens that renders them forever in the state. And only the pharmaceutical industry is their answer. That whole thing is so sad to me because, because I was this weird kid in a Petri dish, isolated in the woods, being severely abused, neglected sexually molested, all these things were happening to me. 
And yet, on my own, I navigated out of that, and I am a completely, really okay person, <laughs> you know. And I was okay even then. I had managed to, to figure out how to to navigate that as best I could. But I, I knew the difference between what I felt in my body and what was happening to me, physically, and how I was abused, and that I had a mind where I could go elsewhere, yeah, and and survive it. I knew that I was eventually going to get out of that house and leave. And eventually at 18 years old, I was gone. I never went, I've never been home since. Um, I never went back to that hometown. So I, I think it's, I think it's really important that there's millions of people like me and you that navigated their way out of this. And I think that the people that are totally um, sort of enmeshed in that pharmaceutical model, they need to know they're not the majority. Well, the majority of people with traumatic situations move past them on their own. Well, I think too, just like alcoholism. Yeah, and addiction, right? I think I think it, you know when we we look at the dichotomy, really it, now kind of the twelve step recovery movement and the pharmaceutical movement is kind of coming together. Um, you know, and and harm reduction was hij hijacked by the pharmaceutical movement. Yeah, um, even that's bastardized now. Yeah, and it, so so I was in it at a time when I had the worst of both worlds, right? So I had this idea that that I was broken like mental health wise, I got a bipolar diagnosis young at 20 years old. And, and then I was in the AA movement, which was like, you can't have any medications. Right. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so, so I had to figure out now I was really fortunate, um, that, that my mother had this good friend in Al-Anon ironically, um, who had this background, of, I just like she she's Native American and she kind of had this background uh, and she was in mental health of of knowing things about the power of the human mind, mm -hmm. you know, and teaching me that oh that mental health diagnosis doesn't mean anything. Um, you're you know so I so it planted a seed in my mind probably I was in my mid twenties that maybe, maybe I wasn't broken. Maybe, maybe the, what I, my emotional large swings of emotional stability, so to speak, my lack of emotional stability had, I had some semblance of control over it. Um, and, and it got me to start reading and thinking. I started studying positive psychology and choice theory by Glasser. And I, I really, dug in trying to figure out, do I have control over this or not? Because I had periods of very high energy where I was like grandiose, almost uber positive. I would just, I was loud and brash and, um, you know, I'd, I'm, I'm, I was five foot two, but I'd fill a room with my presence and, and my dad could be like that, even though he was this big man, like type A personality. I was, I was a go getter. And then I had periods where I would fall off and not come on to get out of bed for three days. So I'm like, is that normal? Like, 
It is, Do for, I have, it is for somebody who's, who's under massive pressure. Yes. And so, so it was, so I learned, I learned, but it took me a long, long time that my interpretation of my physical energy and my level of physical energy at any given moment in time did not necessarily have to be interpreted into emotional. That's a great, that's a great point. And, and let me talk about that for a quick second. Yeah. So, so when people conflate depression of the body with depression of the mind, depression of the body being low energy, yeah, like low having, energy, you know, or having anxiousness in their belly mm-hmm. and anxiousness in the mind. And they conflate the dude. They talk about it as if they're the same thing or, or when they have the tension in the body that that's, causing them to think a certain way. And it may, it may, if that's what, how you interpret these things. So there is a, um, first of all, I want to say I'm not anti-medication. No, I, I, I don't care what people do. I, right. I, I don't have any opinion about that. What I have an opinion with is my experience says that I was able to not be on medications, figure my way out of basically the trifecta of abuse for an entire childhood. And make my way to a successful, happy place in life. And I have seen thousands of people do that without medications. I've seen people take medications and do that as well. But here's what I know. Here's what I know. And I just wrote this down. We have the most treatment for addiction ever in the history of humanity. And we have the highest overdose rates and they parallel each other in in history. We have the most treatment for mental health and we've seen it skyrocket in in history, and and suicide rates are up, uh, not up, skyrocketing. Yeah, all of this stuff is skyrocketing as the pharmaceutical co- movement has has proliferated, and and everywhere it's exported, we see an increase in both drug addiction, and if, if I'm just using the word addiction, substance use, heavy and, substance, use. heavy substance use, and increased rates of all types of mental illness. And they just keep they, I just saw an article this morning. There's a new subtype of depression, you know, and, and I, and I'm thinking it all mirrors the pharmaceutical industry. And I'm not one of these weirdos that goes around looking for conspiracies, but as, as a statistician, I just look at it and there's a wall of evidence that this is a bad direction because the results have been catastrophically yeah. bad. They haven't been, somewhat bad. They haven't been neutral. There hasn't been, people will point to their medications. And in some cases we have people that have improvements in performance and life quality. I agree. I agree. I have nothing to say about that. But But is it the majority? Right. As an aggregate, when you look at what's happened, the more we take the power or the idea that you can solve problems internally with your mind, the further we get from a happy person. Yeah. That's a fact. I can't change it. That's what the numbers say overwhelmingly. So am I a pharmacologist? No, no. I just look at the overwhelming data that says we're moving in a bad direction. I have my personal experience that says I had what I call the trifecta of abuse, sexual neglect and physical abuse, and I'm okay. I'm okay. And I didn't have a psychiatrist fix it. I didn't have a medication fix it. I had a huge drug problem on top of that. 
I had a violent streak. I had antisocial behavior. I was in and out of hospitals for all kinds of problems. I had everything bad that you can have short of being in a concentration camp. And I'm okay. And I did that by thinking my way out of it. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying that people shouldn't go looking for help either. Well, absolutely okay? not. I mean, I think, I think seeking that I look at my life changed dramatically, literally from the result of a conversation with a woman who probably has no idea how, what, how that she changed my life That's to that extreme. Point. That's great. You point. know what I mean? Just yeah. by her saying to me, and she had some letters after her name. Okay. She was a professional woman. And just by her saying to me, you know, cause here's one of the things that I, I was somebody who would catastrophize things. Oh, me too. Me too. Right. Yep. So I would, I would think of the worst outcomes, the worst case scenario. And I'd be certain they were going to happen. Trauma and kids. it would, yeah. right. It would add to my, and, and she would say, well, if you can envision the worst case scenario, why not try envisioning the best case scenario? Yeah. It's such a wild. Right. Thing. And, yeah. and I'm like, okay, you can't just do that. Right. Can you just do that? And she's like, why not? Why can't you just do that? Why can't you the moment? I mean, I didn't, here's a good example. After nine 11, I didn't fly. I didn't fly for five, six years. And I was not somebody that was afraid of flying before. Okay. But I saw, I, you know, we live in New York. I saw what happened. It had like, we watched it for days on television. And, and I, I, you know, at that point I was like, I'm never flying. I'm never flying again. You know, do you know when I flew, I was with him, we had to fly in 2006. It was the fifth anniversary of 9-11. And, and I'm like, really? We're flying on that day? Like, and he's like, it's going to be the safest day to fly. Safest yeah, day I, to fly. I, so that, that was the point that the point she's making is that her, she went to the traumatic reaction. Yeah. So what she's talking about, let, let me, I'm going to digress a bit. So when you, I remember having a conversation with Jerry that changed my life after a suicide attempt, right? I met her father and that one conversation changed me and launched me. So I think that that's important to say. Um, and, but, but I also remember when I first met Jerry and we would be talking, I would go backwards in my mind when I was, would confront a situation that frightened me, whether it was a business scenario or, or something, some conflict or some conversation I had to have with somebody that was uncomfortable. I wasn't good at those things. And I would get all agitated and, and almost to the point of violence because that was always my solution. And when you're a beaten kid, that's what you do. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and he would look at me we would talk it out and he would go, you know, why are you going back to that? And I said, because I have never had a situation in my life that didn't end badly. I don't have a record that says that I'm going to be okay. And when I said that, I remember saying it and he looked at me, he goes, you really have had it bad because he didn't understand. I said, yeah, I don't, I don't know what it's like. I look out there and I see people that have good lives, but I don't know what that's like. I, 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 <laughs> I don't understand it. And he goes, okay, this is what we're going to do. Then you're going to, you're going to go through this situation, whatever it is. And I'm going to just, I'm going to coach you to just think positively about the outcome. Let's be the eternal optimist. So I started doing this. I thought it was fucking silly, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I, I thought it was ridiculous, but I, I gave it just a chance. And then things turned out a little better and a little better 
and a little better and a little tiny. And then I would regress and I would fuck something up. I would regress and I would recreate. I would recreate my trauma. I literally would go backwards in my mind. That's the first step to recreating trauma. And then I would act accordingly as if somebody was there to hurt me. And then what does that do? It causes conflict. And I, I have a negative feedback loop that I just reinforced and I would do this over and over. And then I I would say, I got to climb out of that. And here's the difference between the two scenarios. One is you're looking back. One is you're looking forward. Yes. Looking forward with a positive outlook makes a positive situation happen. It literally does because you're the only one in there. There is no forces at work here. I get to choose. And that's what she was saying. And, and so when she said, we're going to fly on 9-11, her trauma said, you know, she looked in the past and said, this is a bad idea. Bad idea. This is going to be terrible. And I, I immediately was thinking differently. I was thinking it's the most secure day of all. Everybody's right. on massive high alert. No, no terrorist is going to attack on 9-11 again. Right. Exactly. <laughs> they, five years to the day. They can't because everybody is on crazy high alert. So it's the most wonderful day to fly. Not to mention nobody else was on the plane. <laughs> it, was it, was, it wasn't full. <laughs> um, so it was quite, quite a nice flight. So um, these are differences in perspectives. And I, I want to really reiterate that I don't know what you're thinking. I don't know how you've lived your life. Everybody has their unique experience. But when I look at the aggregate of the direction we're going, it's a bad one. Um, the results are have been terrible. This latest generation of children has grown to 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 think that they're fragile, weak, and screwed. And to need, think that that I, words I, are harmful can actually physically harm them. Yeah, or or devastate their mental health and uh, we didn't grow up that way. And consequently, we're very, I'm pretty damn well adjusted. People can make fun of me. I don't really give a shit. So, you know, so. So, you know, I, I, this idea and, and people are like mocking Gen X, right? Online that, that we're bootstrap people. You know, you pick yourself up by your bootstraps um, and, and you just keep going. And yes. Yep. That that's the answer. Guilty as charged. Uh, okay, and and thank God we did impart that on our children as well. Now, it, you know, I can remember thinking as I was raising my children. At, at first, when I was raising them, I was literally terrified that I was going to do something that would harm them for life. You know, because because I had a pretty messed up childhood and I felt like I had been irreversibly damaged by my childhood. And and it was only when I I consciously began shifting that around. And then I started thinking, oh my God, I'm making it too easy on my kids. You know, and there, you know, there's because there's a whole gen my generation gen x some of us were helicopter parents we our parents were kind of out of the picture like our parents just kind of let us do our thing and 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 you know the pendulum does tend to swing and so you know we have a generation of kids that you know if they got a bad grade their parent was in school going why did my kid get a bad grade i mean there was there is a happy medium of letting people figure shit out and realize that you're not not only are we not fragile but our minds are like 
super powerful. Like, yeah, we, like they create our reality. We are what we think literally. Yeah. So I, yeah, it's, it's, it pains me. It pains me to see these kids who now focus on diagnosis and well, and focus on, I, I and mean, focus I, on feeling like, like if they, physically feel bad, then they're emotionally feel bad. And then they, they believe that they're weak. They believe that they're not okay in their own skin. And then there are people that are actually feeding that and saying, you're not. And here's, by the way, here's some medication Yeah, it's, um, it's that's going to make you feel, which it can't do. It's a weird thing that when you focus, it's like heroin awareness created a heroin uh, jump in, in yeah, its use, in heroin right? use. Yep. Yeah. And it's a weird thing to me having grown up where people are like, you know, you grew up in an era where people didn't care about mental health and, and truth is they didn't a lot. And, no. And, and you know what? I am so glad they didn't because it's real, because life was real. And I was focused on making a living at 16 years old. I was focused on getting a car. I was focused on getting laid and having fun and, and trying to find my way to navigate through being an adolescent. And I was, I was concentrating on conflict resolution. I had to go out and fist fight this kid to get some social status. That's, that was my world. I wasn't, there wasn't anybody going, you know, Mark, how are how do you feel? I, I didn't have that. I had to see, I had to sort through that and figure it out myself. Now, but here is where I got screwed was when they started saying, if you drink, you'll be an alcoholic. Yes. That became my reality. Yes. So, so that's where I was directed and that almost killed me. Me too. That misinformation. Now we have an entire, holy shit. I, I, I feel bad for kids that are growing up today. I have a grandson. And I told I told my my son. He's like, I think we're going to homeschool. I, I, all this weird shit that's going on about mental health and stuff. I just want my kid to be normal. Yeah, well, know? that's and, and we'll deal thing. with it as it's, it comes. Whatever comes, we'll deal with it. And that's that's parenting. You know, I'm not gonna. You know, one of my kids. It, he was, I think the first time he told me he shouldn't be alive, he was like six years old. And, and that's, I remember thinking, oh, that's me. Oh my God. Oh my God. And, and then I'm like, I shouldn't make a big deal. That's right. Ratchet back, man. I shouldn't make Ratchet a big deal. Back. And I'm like, really? Why would you think that? Like, you know, I and mean, then just sit and have that conversation with your six-year-old uh, of, you know, of course you should be alive. Like it's, you know, but, but you know what? Sometimes it's normal to kind of feel like that. Yeah, that's it. Sometimes it's normal to just have a shitty day and just, feel like some I just want to leave. just suck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then they laugh it off. And, and, and they, and it, right. Some days can suck, but it they only will continue to suck if you invest in it. That's it, man. If you that, unpack and you live there and it becomes your, your world, your personality. Your identity. Your identity. You know? For for a good several years, my identity was of a broken person, and and you know. But even then, even then, and this is what this ultimately helped me in my life. Even with emotions, we are within limits. Okay, whatever our personal limits are, like I I had I could have absolute blackout rage, and and just lose my shit. But the truth was, I 
didn't, when I really looked at it, I only did it in certain circumstances with certain people. It felt like it was out of my control, but it really wasn't. You allowed yourself. It was a license to misbehave. That's right. Even without drinking. That's right. Okay. Because, oh, I was somebody that was rageful and had rage. Um, I haven't had rage in 25 years. Right. Or longer. So, so, you know, it was, it was that one conversation with this one woman who was like, you choose, you always are choosing. And so even now, even now I'm going to, I think we can close with this because, because emotions are what they are. And I just went through menopause and I'm on the other side. Thank God. Okay. And, and there is there is definitely something to hormones, but the hormones, I figured this out during menopause, the hormones make you physically feel kind of crappy. There are days that are very low energy where I had trouble staying awake all day, where there are, where there are nights where I didn't sleep at all, okay, which makes you feel kind of crappy. Now, if you interpret that as I'm depressed, I'm angry, I'm short-tempered. I'm, I'm hormonal. I'm hormonal. You and give you, it a label. Exactly. And yes, there were some days when I would be like, oh, oh, I'm, 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 my fuse is short today and I'll feel it. But ultimately, I still knew I had a choice. Well, it's like men. Men have hormonal days and our, we go through menopause. We go through uh, hormonal changes. And we're geared, unlike a woman whose hormones open the channels in their brain tissue to make efficient thoughts for emotions, ours is for aggression. Yeah. And so, um, but that doesn't mean that I have a license to go out and hurt somebody. Right. You and know? lose my temper. And Right. And, yeah. and, and when you understand that your mind is your mind and your body is your body, and they have this relationship of working together that makes your being. And you become aware of this and you become aware of your thoughts. You can guide your thoughts. You can. But here's the here's the deal. Some days, like Michelle just explained, you just feel like shit. You do. And some days there's you feel like shit and there's a confluence of circumstance that might make you feel emotionally terrible. So you put those two things together and you get a bad day. You do. Um, but one thing I know is some days you just muddle through. You and, do. and you chalk it up and you say, this one is one for the record books for being a toss out day. I'm just going to sit on the <laughs> I'm couch. I'm just going to go to bed. And I'm, <laughs> I'm just going to allow myself to feel like shit, man. Just stay away from me. My wife, listen, I feel like shit. I communicate it and I don't go for a walk. I just sit in the bath sometimes and just relax. But sometimes I do <laughs> go for a walk during those days and, I, and I'm alone. I sometimes I'll just go sit. Like somebody asked that in our group. Um, so what do you do to deal with your stress or these, these, these um, like negative feelings or physically bad feelings or whatever they are. And in, 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 if I'm in one of those days where it doesn't feel like I can just simply change my mind, I will consciously exercise, do something, yeah. Yeah. something that comforts me. Yeah. Now, if you, if you believe that sitting outside and having a glass of wine comforts you know that what's comforting you is the ritual of it because I can sit outside and have a cup of hot tea. I can sit outside and have a, you know, a, a lemonade. I can, it just, you can, you can sit outside matter. and not do anything and not do anything. Yeah. Um, and, and it, cause it's, it's the, 
something that I find comforting. It's something that you decide, you choose. So there's a mental process to feel better. To feel better, whatever that is. And I have a whole host of things that I do. Most Now, sometimes I'll feel like, oh, I want to be alone. But sometimes I'll just call a friend or like just want to. And I, you know what I don't do? I typically don't call a friend to talk shit. I typically will call either to find a solution or to talk about something positive, like to yeah. go ask, hey, how's your grandson doing? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And and just take your mind off of whatever it is. And Stop it, reinforcing the negativity. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So I hope that this was helpful um, for people that might be struggling emotionally. Um, if you're going to seek help, I recommend seeking help from a cognitive behavioral therapist. They are specifically trained to help you to interpret situations and events differently. And and they help you to figure out how much control you do have over the way you think and how much your thinking affects your emotional state of being. That's it. Okay. Thank you, everyone. Hey, hey. Uh, just, just want to give a plug for our one day addiction solution. And, and we're actually in development, like seriously, like figuring this out, um, how, just how much we can look at, we can show you everything you need to know and how to solve your addiction in just one day. Yeah. We, we had our first one, it was sold out and it was awesome, uh, last week. And uh, the people were absolutely blown away. I know we were. We were. We <laughs> yeah. were because it was like our first time presenting yeah. all of this. Like everybody's like, you can do the whole freedom model in one day. And we weren't even sure, quite frankly. Because <laughs> it was it was a lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot of work. But here's what's wild. Part of the cost of this when you pay is you also get three coaching sessions post Private. Private. And you also get a year of freedom model online program. Uh, gratis. So you get supported for the entire year. While you're implementing all of these changes into your life and figuring this out, because yes, you can get all of the information you need in just one day. And then it's a prep. Now for some people they leave and they're like, holy shit, I'm done. I'm done. I can't, this is awesome. Right. And for some people, it's a process of figuring out exactly what you want. So yeah, join up. If you're, if you really are ready, uh, to move forward with your life. Yeah. To um, solve it once and for all, we can show you how to do that. We can show you how to do that. So, all right, go to the freedommodel.org to learn more and Hey, we'll see you next time. See ya. Are you struggling with a drug or alcohol problem, but you don't want to go to rehab or group meetings? That's why we created the non-12-step Freedom Model Coaching Program in 2011. Through video conferencing on Zoom or Skype, you can work privately with a certified Freedom Model Coach from your home or office on your schedule. And here's the best part. With the Freedom Model, you'll never be labeled an addict or an alcoholic. And we won't tell you to go to 12-step meetings or hamper your life with endless recovery rituals. Instead, you can learn exactly why addiction isn't a disease and how you can solve the problem for good and move on with your life. Do you want to be completely free from your addiction? Do you want to never have to attend meetings, rehabs, or addiction counseling ever again? And do you want to solve your problem from the comfort of home? Then call us at 888-424-2626 to talk with a Freedom Model coach today and experience the Freedom Model difference.